that might be where you need to start just to get the ball rolling because you maybe don't know what quality is. But now it's like, hey, get rid of all that extra stuff you're doing that is not gonna like help you get to where you wanna go. Do less, but do better. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Nathan Payne. Today we're going through a unique wholesaling business model that Nathan has created. He started wholesaling five years ago, but his business really evolved within the last year to gain more efficiency, do better deals, make plenty of money without the hassle of a typical wholesaling business model. We're going to get into everything that means some missteps that he made in the previous business model that kind of taught him along the way and drove him to the point where he is today with his successful wholesaling business with a unique business model. We also go through his perspective on the investor slash buyer side of a wholesaling real estate transaction and how he can tell ways that he can tell whether a buyer is qualified and knowledgeable and experienced and able to close or if they're a newbie that's not going to be able to close or isn't looking at deals in the right way. We're going to tell you all about that because you might be looking to do deals off market and that means that you're probably working with wholesalers and it's a good idea to know how to talk to wholesalers if you're going to be working with them. So that's what we're getting into today. Ton of fantastic knowledge. Nathan really drops a lot on us today. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lotz. I'm a real estate investor. I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, if you don't mind. I really do genuinely appreciate that. That helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. That helps us grow. That helps the show grow. And also just it makes me feel great because I get to see that you're engaging with the content. You're escaping Wall Street along with us. You're building wealth on Main Street. And that's really what we're all about here. So I really appreciate that feedback and you sharing the show with others. It just helps so much. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Nathan Payne. We're talking about his unique wholesaling business model, insights into the wholesaling world, and much more. Let's go. Nathan, thank you so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and what you do, can you tell us about your business, how you got started in the wholesaling space? Of course. So Nathan Payne, I'm from Salt Lake City, Utah, and I started wholesaling five years ago. I came from a door-to-door background. I was doing door-to-door sales for about six years all throughout college, graduated. And then I was like, what can I do that's not so transient that I don't have to move all over the place? So I decided to get into real estate, had zero experience. My buddy in college, his dad did wholesaling in Missouri. So I hit him up. He was doing dabbling in that in college while I was doing sales, door-to-door sales. And I I called him and I said, hey, you want to start a wholesaling company? And he was like, okay. So he left his tech job. I left the door-to-door. We just tried to figure it out. Wow. Leaving the tech job. That's a, a big leap to get into wholesaling. And I'd like to get today into the best processes for investors working with wholesalers like yourself. Right. But before we get there, can you give us a rundown of the actual like back end workings of your company and your processes 
Oh. How you get to the point where you have a property that you can sell to an investor? Yeah. So I do what's called, I term it as painless wholesaling. My last name's pain. And I talk about what I teach people to do is very painless because I've done the painful way. And when I first started, it was very painful. We, we went out knocking for doors. We were cold calling every day. We were just trying to find a deal. And then once we found that deal, which we really didn't know what a deal was other than 70% minus, you know, a, of ARV minus your repairs and minus your wholesale fee. So we were like making low offers, obviously letting a lot of stuff fall through the cracks. And that was very painful, but that's what got us where, you know, got us started. I got us our first deal, then our next deal. And now my business doesn't look anything like that. That's what I've been doing up until the market shift, like, like when the interest rates went up and it was harder to find deals and buyers weren't buying as much. My business partner at the time, he was running the whole sailing company we had, and I was doing investor driver coaching company. And because interest rates went up, buyers weren't really buying as much here in Utah. So the, we, we split everything 50-50 at that point. So he, he wasn't really bringing us as much money as I was. And I said, look, man, it doesn't really make sense for you to run the wholesaling company and me split everything with you or you split everything with me. It's not really working right now. And I was like, do you want to spend more time in the coaching? You know, and we can figure out how we can help more people. And he's like, no, I'm not interested in that. And I was like, okay. So I had to think, I was like, what can I do so I can stay relevant so I can still do deals, but I can focus you know, just as much time, but still do deals. And that came to me as like, how have I always been doing deals really easily? Well, I have the buy box criteria of my top buyers, like my VIP buyers. And I just see a deal that comes across my email from a wholesaler. And I call them about it and say, hey, did you see this? Do you want this? And I'll connect you, add my fee in there. Or hey, I see something on the MLS. I know it's a good fit for my buyer. So it's like a sniper approach. So that's what I call painless wholesaling. It's just you have great relationships with buyers, so you don't have to just go find and spend a ton of money on off market. You're leveraging people's, you know, work ethic. Like I was as a noob to like work really hard, but they don't have the buyers because we, we all know. Like I was a noob, to, you know, at one point, and I found a deal, gave it to a buyer that I barely found, and I got five k, and I was happy with it. To, to find out that I could have made like thirty. So there's tons of opportunities where I was grateful at that point, but. It's just because I didn't have my buyers in, in, in line. So that's what I do. Great relationships with buyers. That's what the business looks like. We have the buy box criteria. And then I have a VA that I use. It's a very lean company compared to what I used to have with VAs, you know, leads managers, acquisitions manager, dispo. I'm the dispo guy. My VA just looks for deals. I make offers. We get them under contract. And they're already pretty much sold because I know that's what they wanted. So... That's the workings of the business right now. It's just being a virtual assistant. And I, and you don't even really need a virtual assistant. You can do it yourself. I just, I have another business. Yeah. Yeah. No, you have got to optimize your time and everything. And, and we're all about hiring people in our businesses and, and working on our businesses rather than in our businesses when we can. So how have you trained up? This is a big part of hiring a virtual assistant, training someone to the point where that they can handle those activities, because it can be a pretty specialized set of skills to look for properties with a certain set of criteria and maybe help you make an offer. I don't know whether they're making the offer for you or if you're making the offer, but how do you get the VA trained up to the point where they can handle those things, take that off your plate? It's an ongoing process. I would be lying if I told you that, you know, he's amazing at it, right? Like he, he tells me, you know, we have conversations every week and, you know, he hits me up on our Discord channel where we run everything up through our company. But, you know, it's ongoing process of trying to educate him and help him to be better. But that he makes, so on the MLS, what he'll do is he'll call agents and then he'll make the offer 
get their email, CC me in on the email that he sends with our offer, with our letter of intent and our proof of funds. So I see the responses and I know what he's doing. So that's his process. And if it's off market and it requires negotiation, then he'll set me up an appointment and then I'll talk to the seller. But, and that's, that comes if he finds a deal like on a Facebook group. I'm really big in let's not spend any money because I went through the, the painful way of like $10,000 on mailers when I first started, didn't get a deal. $200,000 in pay-per-click and you would get deals here and there, but you had to have tons of like filter filtration going on. So I was like, let's, let's find out the easiest way to do this business, the, the least amount of work. And I don't need to be doing like 10 to 15 deals a month. I'll give me like one to two to three. I'm good. I'm not trying to like build some like multi-million dollar business. Just give me some deals. So that's, I, I help newer people as well. Cause I'm not going to just say, Hey, this is the end all be all. If you want to make like a multi-million dollar company, this will, this will make you good money and you'll be good. Hey, there's nothing wrong with making good money here. So, uh, in a wholesale transaction, you need two parties to take you seriously, right? Or want to do business with you, the seller and the buyer. And your model is focused first and foremost on that buyer relationship. You have a track record where you built up and built those relationships. But for those out there that are just kind of starting in this business model, haven't done a deal yet or anything, how would you think about getting buyers to like take that person seriously, kind of give them the time of day and, and consider deals they might have? It's a great question. I get that all the time, right? Because I'm working with new investors. And I think that transparency and honesty is the best way to build a relationship and connect. Like if you go to a buyer and <laughs> you know that you met at a RIA or you called from a list and you're trying to flex, like you, you know what you're talking about, they're immediately going to say that you're full of it. They're like they, you can just hear it. You can feel it. There's energy. Maybe they're nervous. Just be like, hey, look, I'm brand new. I know how to hustle. I'm going to work super hard. If you tell me exactly where to go or just give me a list to call, I'll bring you a deal. If someone came to me with that, like, and I felt like, the, hey, I have the time to to work with someone like that. And I felt, I feel like I connect with this person. I, I would definitely give them that time because it. I would say most of the time when you work with someone like that, they're going to make you money. <laughs> you know, the, somehow they're going to bring you something. That That's what I would say for brand new people is connect through networking. You know, going to RIAs, calling title companies, letting people know you're a noob, letting buyers, hard money lenders know that you don't know what you're doing, but you need help. Those people are all willing to work with you. Just be honest about your level of experience, but your willingness to hustle. I think that's good advice. It's sound advice because people are going to smell it. They're going to smell that you're new and that's just best to be open and, and honest about yeah. that. Okay. So We've all been at one point or another in some kind of scenario where a buyer or a seller had unrealistic expectations. Now, for your business model, if you're, especially speaking from the, the noob standpoint, if you're mm -hmm. talking to a buyer that maybe has unrealistic expectations, how do you analyze that to see if they're, they really have, you know, again, reasonable expectations to what can be achieved? Are you so? Are you referring to prices? Unreasonable expectations most of the time. Price, I think, is the probably the most obvious criteria, right? We always talk about price, but price isn't the only thing. You know, if there are any others you'd like to bring up, then I'm certainly open to that. But we all have been in in deals with people who are being unreasonable on one point. Of course, yeah. So let's talk about one that just happened. So because of my model, I tell people where I have buyers. So I had a wholesaler in Atlanta that I know. He reached out and said, "Hey, Nate." Do you have a buyer in Sandy, Utah? I'm like, of course. I, yeah, of course. So he's like, this is the situation. 
the buyer wants the seller wants us to go see the house and just tell us what he would pay without lock before locking it up. Some people want to do that, and I get that. So the only reason I was willing to spend my time and that he called me is he found out that the buyer with the sorry the seller with the, the unreasonable expectations had, was motivated. He was he had underlying motivation, but his price was high, right? And sometimes you just need to you know they got to hear a couple no's and, or, or low ball offers before their expectations are reset. So for me, I was like, okay, why is the guy moving? He inherited the property. He rented it out. The renters were really ba bad and he's tired of renting it. This guy's going to sell. He's not going to want to re-rent it. So I called up my buyer, one of my buyers, and I was, and actually I'll tell you how I got the buyer. So I reached out to the title company, the escrow officer at the title company, Christina, who I'm really close with. And I said, hey, Christina, who's buying in this area? I know you deal with all the people, you know, they're closing the state because you're one of the top escrow officers. And she said, Chris is. So she gave me, I don't know, Chris, she texted me and him in a group text and just said, hey, Chris, meet Nate. He's got a property. I think it's something you'd be interested in. It's your area. So I call, Chris called me, said, hey, Chris, this situation, don't have it under contract. There's motivation here. I just need you to come with me. Tell me, look around, tell me what you'd pay. That's it. So don't know Chris. I trust him because he come from the title, the escrow officer. We meet at the house. He walks around. At the end, you know, the seller walks away. I said, hey, seller, I'm going to let you know what we'll offer. Me and Chris talk. And he's like, I'll be at 3.30. The seller wants 400000 right? So that wasn't going to work. But we figured the guy seeing a buyer, someone walk through, it would reset his expectations. So we made the offer lower. He didn't do, he, he didn't budge. Then I, Christina actually put me in touch with someone else that offered 400,000. We sent them through, they had 400, 70K more because of the area. We knew what they wanted. And that's the power of the relationships, right? It's like most buyers are going to be at 330 because that's how much where it needed to be. But this specific buyer that she knew wanted this area. So 400,000, the buyer wouldn't budge above 400,000. The seller wouldn't budge below 400,000. So we're at a standstill. So we made the offer. We said, hey, this is the best we can, can do. No one's beating that. I don't make, I don't even know how they're making money. And that's pretty much how I use my strategy. I'm just very transparent with the, the process. Like while I was walking through the house of the, my cash buyer, I told the sellers, like, hey, this is the flipper. I'm the one that negotiates the deals. He's the one that flips it. He's going to walk around and see what, what needs to be done. The guy's like, great. I don't know. I don't really care. <laughs> just tell me what you'll pay. And I think there's so many people that get worried about, you know, the process. It's like, hey, dude, we're trying to buy your house. It's, that's it. There might be multiple people involved. Absolutely. So it's interesting in that situation that it sounds like you didn't have, you didn't have the property tied up, obviously, but you also didn't have like a contractual agreement with the potential buyer or anything. Maybe I'm kind of maybe reading between the lines here. We didn't, we didn't. But what gave you that level of comfort? Was it the relationship that a lot of people would try to get it like some form of contractual protection before they tell the buyer, you know, here's where the property is or anything. I didn't think it was necessary to do that. Number one, because I thought the price was unrealistic, right? So I wasn't trying to lock it up at 400,000 and like give him that hope that it was going to be at that price. I was willing to say, Hey, I, let's walk through and let's see if we can get close because there was motivation that he had. I was like, okay, this is good. I usually don't. I always lock them up if it's like a, a no-brainer deal. But this one was kind of up in the air with the unrealistic expectations that we're talking about. So that's why I'm willing to not lock it up. We'll have someone walk through. Trust that he's not going to go beyond my back because he, we were connected through a common relationship in the industry and here in Utah. So 
And I'm not worried. If someone goes behind my back and does a deal, that's the kind of person they are. And they won't probably, they're probably not going to be in business for very long. So I don't really worry too much about people cutting me out. <laughs> Fair enough. So it seemed like, um, so, so you mentioned rates went up, obviously, you know, last year where, and they've been going up for a while now and that impacted the buyer pool. Did you see a big impact initially? Like what was kind of the long tail of rates going up? Have buyers kind of started to get interested in, you know, buying distressed properties again? What has been the evolution of that change in the market? It's a good question. That's another main reason why I went the painless route is because with so many buyers that I had, like I had big buyers list before. The play was to email, text them. And with so many people that were out, I was like, that's a waste of time. You know, how many people are actually still in the game? So that's why I was like, let's just make five to 10 solid relationships. Now, I wouldn't be able to speak to everyone, but I am seeing in Utah, in Florida, it depends on the state. Like Florida has been hot. Like when I'm doing deals in Florida, like there's multiple offers on properties. It, it seems that Utah, a lot of these places like Idaho, Boise, the West Coast, like a lot of the places that appreciated a ton have seen a big slowdown in at least the amount of the offers that come in or the price. But if you look at Florida, like doesn't seem like they've slowed down at all. So I think area is a big part of it, but every buyer is different. Some buyers are scared and those are the ones we work with and the ones that have to place their money somewhere because they just don't want to sit in their bank. Those are the ones I work with and Hasn't, I haven't really seen a problem because I have the buyers. Mm, okay. So when you're speaking with a buyer and you're, if you're in the case where you're maybe interested in building some more buyer relationships, I know you just paired them back, but for the, yeah, yeah. the buyers, the investors out there that are looking to understand what type of criteria do they need to have or what are reasonable criteria when you're talking to a, a, a potential buyer what are some things that you look for so that you can tell that, hey, this guy knows what he's looking for, or gal knows what they're um, talking about, they're involved, or you know, maybe the other direction, they're noobs, tire kickers, they can't close on it. Yeah, anything. yeah. I would say if I ask them what their buy box criteria is and they're like 70% or of ARV minus, you know, repairs, minus, just minus repairs where I need to be, I'm like, most buyers don't talk like that, that, I, that are good in my opinion. So I know that like, they're going to have, if they're good, they're going to have it like pretty niche down to like areas, type of homes they work on, bedrooms, baths, square footage, what they like. So that's one way I find out is I ask those questions like specifically like, okay, you, you say just bring me a deal. I'm not that kind of, a lot of new newer wholesalers will call a buyer and they'll just say, hey, just bring me a deal and they'll push them off. I'm the kind of guy that's like, hey, I, I get you know, you probably get a lot of people calling you, but that's not how I do business. Like I'm actually specifically going to look for something that meets your criteria and bring it to you. So I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to waste my time. Can I dive deeper and ask you a couple more questions on like specific criteria we want? You want one acre? Do you want anything above a million? Do you want it below a million? So I try to get in the nitty gritty with them because if they're not willing to do that, they're probably not a real buyer or they're not worth your time. Mm, okay. So for the listeners out there, you kind of went through the classic flip pricing formula, but for those that don't know what that is kind of, what those terms are, what that means and everything and how that calculation is done. Can you run through that for us, even though that's not the yep. number one criteria folks should have in your book? Yeah. So most people are taught like a quick way of 70 per, 75, 70%, 80% when things are great, 85 
the, you're just multiplying that by the ARV or the after repair value. And what that has in that 15 or 20, 30%, that has the profit of the flipper that also has our hard money costs or their money costs. It has everything like jumbled up and that they just make it really easy. And then they say minus their repairs and that's what's where they want to be in their, usually in their offer price. But what I do is I usually try to break it down even further and I say, okay, what is their hard money cost? So, so I can really see if I can get a tighter deal. You know, is it 12, 12% in two points? How long can they take to rehab this? Are they quick? Are they going to take forever? And they're just, you know, that's going to make me be able to offer than more. And what else? Are they agents? Do they list the property themselves, which saves 3% on, you know, what they have to pay out and what they can make and, you know, closing costs or do they have a good relationship with a title company? Like those are all the things I run in my calculations when I'm, you know, making offers to see if I can come up and beat other wholesalers that are just, you know, doing that simple formula. So that was a long answer, but basically it's the easy way to not get a deal now. (laughs) (laughs) But so you're, you're saying that you're kind of more qualified, more experienced buyers will have a better, a more uh, nailed down idea of the type of like property or location or age of the property that all that kind of stuff that they're looking for. But you have to figure, or at least I have to figure at some point they're doing that calculation, right? I need to know if I'm going to make money on this deal, but it sounds like they're, they're doing that calculation after they've seen the property or some way. There's a number running there, but it's later on. Right. It's so interesting because they, you know, they do have to see it. If I'm buying a property, I want to see it or at least, you know, you know, feel it or know it's legit. You don't want to get caught, you know, with your pants down right now. <laughs> I mean, I got rocked on a couple of flips here when the market shifted. Luckily, I was able to refinance out of a couple and just sold them and, and was able to make money because back it's doing a little bit better now here in Utah. But yeah, you definitely want your buyers, you know, good buyers that know their numbers. And I don't really know what they do behind you know, their numbers on closed doors, but they want to make money. That's it. So whenever I run my calculations, is my flipper making 10, 15, 20% of the ARV after the after repair value? Are they making that uh, enough net margin after everything where it makes sense for them to pull the trigger? That's all that matters if you're going to wholesale to a flipper. Are they going to make money? Mm, okay. Interesting. Well, it's a unique model to get into the wholesaling business. It definitely sounds like a uh less of a hassle than the model that, and probably less capital intensive than the wholesaling model that a lot of people use today. So cool. Glad we got into it right now. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com Scroll down to the Stessa logo and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Nathan, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Locked and loaded. Great. Ready. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Best investment. I would say I bought a property on seller finance. Um, 
when I first started, I had no idea what I was doing, but I did, it was like $4,000 down and I got it. And now it's worth, I got it for like one, one forty-five, and now it's worth about three twenty. and just put $4,000 into it and it's been renting and it's cash flowing. So that was, a, I would say that was a good investment. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Did you do any refis in there or is it just the four down? It was four down and then we refinanced out after we, we agreed to like a four year, but he got a little squirrely. So we just refinanced, you know, cash out refi, got him his, the rest of his money, his equity that he had within like a year. Awesome. That's great. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Oh gosh, it just happened. Unfortunately, because of the market shift, we, we were getting a little froggy, you know, we we're getting a little like we were making bad, bad offers that didn't necessarily like were home runs, but we were like, oh, if it keeps going, we'll be all right. So we did one in Provo, Utah. You know, we were thinking it was going to be worth about 450 fixed up. We got done. Market shift happened. And we listed it way too late. I'm sure interest rates went up and we actually had to deed in lieu it back to our hard money lender and give them 15000 to take it back because we were under that much. I think we were thinking 450 was the ARV and we ended up not even being able to sell it for like 380 on the MLS, minus fees, minus commissions, all that stuff. So yeah, you talk about hit hard, like properties that went down from like $100,000 from ARV, like even less. It's So I lost, so 15K and what else? Just a lot of wasted time, effort in that and a deed and lieu, but I heard my lender was cool about it. Sucks that it happened, but whatever. <laughs> wow. So, but it sounds like kind of what you were saying a bit earlier that the market has come back a bit. Do you still see that falling? What, you know, what's the trajectory of the market? Are we going to see more of those in the area? My opinion is it's summertime. So there's more, there's definitely more offers on these properties now. So that's good, but I don't see prices going up. I think it's either going to stay the same or maybe go down a little, especially here. It's, it's a little higher price point in Utah and these other places, but I can't see it going up like it did over the last two years again, especially if interest rates stay around the same. It wouldn't make sense to me. No one can really afford. I mean, in the West Valley house that we had that I just sold, you know, like to live in that part of town, it's not terrible, but it's, what are you paying like 3,500, 3,000 bucks for a half million dollar house and it's in a decent area? Like, no, that sucks. <laughs> you know, my mortgage is like a thousand bucks because I bought it in, you know, five years ago. And that's amazing. That's great. But I don't know how people are affording like three to four to live in a normal, just a middle class home. Yeah. Yeah. Debt service costs have gone up considerably for anybody getting a mortgage today compared to where they were a year and a half ago, two years right. ago or so. And yeah, no, it's definitely rough. So my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? You know, I'm learning this one actually right now. It's a quality over quantity. When I first started, I was like just ingrained in my head, just do, just keep going, like consistency and just who cares if it's good or bad, just do it and, and get the work done. And now I'm like learning from high level entrepreneurs and like bugs. It's like, hey, look, like that might be where you need to start just to get the ball rolling because you maybe don't know what quality is. But now it's like, hey, get rid of all that extra stuff you're doing that is not going to like help you get to where you want to go. Do less, but do better. And, and that's my, I think my most important lesson that I'm learning right now is quality over quantity. Wow. I love that. Well, Nathan, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing all this knowledge about your business and your unique wholesaling model. 
if folks would reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah. So if you go to painlesswholesaling.com, painless, P-A-Y-N-E, less L-E-S, and then wholesaling.com, I have a free masterclass I do every Thursday. Anyone can come and learn. I will, at the very end, offer you something, but uh, you don't feel obligated to accept it. I do love to just teach for free and just help out. So go to that painlesswholesaling.com and uh, yeah, I guess that's where you can find me. Very cool. Well, thank once, thanks once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.